Thank you, Pastor. I love you. Thank you. Good morning, morning. It's tough to talk about trust when there's hard things going on in life, you know. When there's sickness, there's war, things we don't understand. But I feel like in the larger scheme of the world, from God's perspective, he's like, I'm still in control. Trust me. I'm inviting you to trust me. In fact, when things are shaking, it's a greater opportunity, a greater exercise of your faith to trust, trust me, trust him. Um, this series on trust has really, really shaken me and my family. Um, it's really, uh, I was talking to Dan Updike this morning. Where's Dan? Dan somewhere, right there. He's been reading that book, Trust by Henry Cloud. He says it's really shaking his paradigm. Um, I'm like, that's exactly what it's done for me. It's changed my mindset on so many things. You know, when you start to study trust, you realize that this, this world, the currency of this world is not money. It's really not. It's built on trust. I tell the business leaders I work with, I said, stop thinking you're in the business of selling cars or building kitchens. You are in the business of building trust. If someone trusts you, they will pay higher prices. They will do anything for you. If someone does not trust you, you can give away free money and they'll run away from you. We are in the business of building trust. If you want better marriage, build trust. If you want to be a better parent, build trust with your kids. If we want a better government, we need higher level of trust. You want better employees, you need to be a more trusting boss. We need trust. Trust is essential to life. In this last five weeks, uh, we've been going over the five essentials of trust to help you determine who you should trust. But probably even more importantly, how do I become more trustworthy? And I want to do a quick review uh, on the five essentials of trust. The first essential trust is understanding. You cannot trust someone if they don't, you don't feel like they understand you, they get you, okay? Um, to me, the number one skill of leadership is to be able to listen. Because when you listen to someone, you let them know that you understand them which then will lead to trust, which then will lead to leadership, okay? So anyway, the first uh, essential is understanding. The second essential of trust is motive. You cannot trust someone who is not for your good. They only care about their own interests and not your interests. The third essential of trust is ability. You cannot trust someone, doesn't matter how nice a person they are, if they don't have the ability or the skill or the power to care for what you entrust them to do. In other words, you might be a great guy, but most likely I will not trust you to perform brain surgery on me, okay, unless you're a trained brain surgeon, okay. So that makes sense. The fourth essential trust is character. Okay, you cannot trust someone who is not emotionally mature. They're temperamental, their emotions go up and down, up and down, they're unpredictable. And finally, probably one of the most important essential trust is track record. One of the best predictors of the future is what happened in the past. And Pastor Ron just talked about that. So hopefully these five essentials has equipped you to make better decisions from which contractor you should use to remodel your kitchen to who you should marry, okay? 
More importantly, hopefully these five essentials has helped you examine yourself and say, how can I be a more trustworthy parent? How can I be a more trustworthy spouse? Okay? How can I be more trustworthy? Now, as I'm going through these five essentials, I can't help but think about my relationship with God. Because mostly we've been talking about kind of horizontally, okay, about our interaction with other people. But I start thinking, huh, how do I apply these five essentials to God? In other words, why do I trust God? And probably even better question, why do I not trust God? Why do I not trust God? So I want to ask you this question. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? And I'm going to answer it for you because I probably know the right answer to this. The answer is sometimes. Sometimes I trust God. You might trust God with, for example, your salvation. You have no doubt that if you die, you will be with him for eternity. But somehow you really struggle with trusting God with your provision. Or maybe you really trust that God loves you. He forgives you your sin. But you don't trust him to really like you and value you and want to be with you and want to hug you. We all have areas in which we don't trust God. And what I've learned is in these areas, in these gaps where we don't trust God is where God wants to come in. He, he doesn't want to cover that up. He wants to expose where we don't trust God. He wants us to bring to that place where we are vulnerable, where we are weak, so we can expose it and grow from it. And the problem in the church, okay, and not just in the church, in all the world is we confuse believing things about God and actually trusting God. It's one thing for us to maybe agree, acquiesce to the theology about the power of God. You might agree with the power of God, but meanwhile, you struggle with debilitating anxiety. You guys see the difference? See, for me to believe in some theology or some idea, it's a passive trust. It's a, it's a defensive trust. Whereas Abraham saying, I trust you, Lord. I'm going to put my son on the altar and kill him and sacrifice him to you is a proactive, vulnerable trust. The trust we're talking about today makes you vulnerable. It makes you weak at your knees. It makes you want to sweat. It makes your heart hurt, especially when, when those you love are sick. God's inviting you to say, will you be vulnerable, open your arms, and proactively trust me. That's the trust we are talking about today. You may believe that God cares about your loneliness, but you won't take the active step to separate from the toxic relationship. You guys, you guys see what I'm talking about? How can we grow in our trust in God? So what I want to do today in the remainder of time we have, and I really got to hurry, is that I'm going to use these five essentials that we just talked about. These five essentials of trust. And I want to break down where we don't trust God. And Lord, Father, I want to ask you, Holy Spirit invites you to meet us in these places of brokenness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the first essential trust, okay, understanding. The fundamental question is, does God understand me? Okay. Now, I was raised to believe 
Maybe no one said it explicitly, but implicitly I feel like God does not understand me. Not only does not God not understand me, I mean, he's so big, he's so wise, he's so strong, he doesn't have time to understand my world. Not only does he not understand me, he doesn't even care to understand me. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up with a big disconnect between me and my parents. Okay. My parents were raised in Taiwan. They were born in China and raised in Taiwan. They went through war. They went through all kind of stuff. I was raised in Richmond, Virginia. Completely different worlds. Okay? And as I got older, there was a generational gap. There's a cultural gap. And they, there became a language gap because my Chinese got worse and worse and worse. Okay? So naturally, there was a disconnect. I didn't really get my parents and they didn't really get me. Does that make sense? Anybody else can understand that? Now, I took that template and put it upon God. God, you don't really get me. You don't really understand me. Now, I never consciously said those words, but I felt that. That was my emotions. Okay. Now, I want to be clear about this. This is an important side note I want to make. Just because you want to understand someone's perspective doesn't mean you endorse or agree with their perspective. Okay. A lot of times a lot of leaders or parents don't even try to understand others because they feel like that means they need to endorse these really wacky views, especially from your kids, right? That's not the case. If you want to build trust, okay, people are not expecting you to 100% agree with everything they say. They just need to feel heard. Now, I have, par- I have kids who come and say this to me. They say, I know my parents love me. I know my parents love me. And I'm like, then why wouldn't you share your heart with your parents? It's because they don't trust their parents. Okay? Parents, don't just keep telling your kid, I love you. You know I love you. You know I love you. You know I love you, right? Don't just keep saying that. They know you love them. That's not why they don't trust you. They don't trust you because they don't think you understand them. Meanwhile, they feel like Taylor Swift understands them. They feel like... See, this is how much I know about pop culture. I can't even name somebody else. <laughs> whoever. Pastor Ron made a statement that whoever understands your kids is going to disciple them. So don't just keep saying, I love you, no, I love you, and I love you. That's not the issue. Sit down with them, open your ear, shut your mouth, and listen to them. Okay? You don't need to agree with everything they have. Just try to understand them, to build trust. And then maybe they'll tell you what they're talking about with their friends. Okay, side note, side note. Okay, back to my story. I had a struggle with understanding, feeling understood by my parents, feeling understood by God and whatnot. So I kept doing church stuff. I was a church kid. I did Bible study. I went to youth group. I led worship. I even preached. But when I went to college, my lack of trust in God was exposed. I was filled with anxiety, insecurity, and I even had to recognize I don't really trust God. The issue is we are not robots. We are not computer programs. How do we now trust our hearts, our future, our desire, our deepest need to somebody who we feel like doesn't know our needs, doesn't know our wants, doesn't know our strength, our weaknesses. They don't know what we love and what we hate. We will struggle to trust that person. Maybe you struggle to trust God with your finances because you don't think God knows what does it mean to be needy. Maybe you don't trust God with your relationship because you don't think God knows what does it mean to be lonely or to be betrayed. I struggled this disconnect for years and years and years until I became a parent myself. And 
Uh, I share about my son, Nehemiah, quite a bit. My son, my oldest son, Nehemiah, who's almost 10, he's like a mini-me, right? He looks like me. He acts like me. Uh, he's like my clone. And for better or for worse, right, he has my same mentality. He has my same strength and some weaknesses. And when he struggles emotionally with disappointments and whatnot, I find myself empathizing with him by sharing with him my own struggles. I share my own stories with him, okay? My own uh, uh, my own s- stories of the past, how I overcame those struggles, right? And I found that in this path of empathy, of understanding, when he felt like I really understood his pain, he gathered the strength to overcome these emotional barriers. And then I'm like, wait a second. I didn't figure this out. God designed this process. And the Lord let me to Philippians chapter 2. It's talking about Jesus. He said, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was, was born as a human being. When he appears in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And I recognize Jesus purposefully did not come as a ruling king or a conquering lord. He came as a weakened baby because God says, I understand you. Look at Hebrews. I mean, how could I not see this before? Hebrews chapter 4. Jesus, this high priest of ours, understand our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testing we we do, yet he did not sin. Because of this, we can come boldly before the throne of our gracious God, receive his mercy, find grace to help us when we need it most. Can you spell this out even more clearly? Jesus is the tangible evidence that God cares about your experience. God cares about your struggles. He understands betrayal. He understands loneliness. He understands neediness. He understands it all. In fact, the pain and suffering he understood, we don't even understand. This is incredible. This blows my mind. If I was an almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God, I don't know if I would care for the experience of that little ant over there. But then David said this. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit or stand. I'm paraphrasing. You know my thoughts. You see me when I travel. You know everything I do. Even before I say it, you go before me. Then he said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. It blows our mind that the infinite God will come to our lowly place and understand and empathize with our weakness. But it's too wonderful for us to understand, and this is the truth. This is what I really think. I think most of us Christians struggle to trust that God understands us because we rarely have anybody, a brother or sister, anybody who come and just for 10 minutes to empathize and listen to us. We're so busy in the church sometimes to give answers, solve people's problem. We don't seek to understand other people. I have learned one of the best ways, one of the best ways I can reflect the glory of God, the heart of Jesus to sit down, shut my mouth, and just listen for 10 minutes. What is your experience? How do you feel? What are you going through? I struggle with this deeply. 
But we can emulate the character of Jesus Christ when we do that. God cares about your experience. He might not agree with all your feelings. They might not always be true, but he cares. He cares and he understands. All right, real quickly, the second essential trust, is God really for me? The foundational question, is God really for me? Now, we can throw all kind of Christianese out there, all kind of Bible verse about God is for your good. We can all believe in the theology that God is for you. But in my experience, myself included, very few Christians actually feel in their heart that God is for them. Do you know how I know that? Because that's why we disobey God often. That is why we disobey. When we disobey God in our hearts, we say to ourselves, if I do it your way, I will miss out on life. Okay, I will get taken advantage of. It will be bad for me. Therefore, I'm going to disobey and make it better for me. Okay, embedded in our disobedience is our distrust in God. This can easily happen when... All we hear in the church is what we should not do. I was talking to Pastor Aaron the other day, and right now there's so many temptations for our young people out there. Our cell phone might as well be a, a hand grenade. I mean, just all the stuff people are exposed is crazy. And I was telling Pastor Aaron how difficult I was, you know, just processing with him. And Pastor Aaron said something that's so wise. That's a wise man who is leading your kids. That's a wise man. He says in many ways this weed out our youth ministers. Because you can't just do the, the simple things we did 20, 30 years ago. You can't just tell the kids what you don't do. You got to tell them what you need to do. You don't just say, don't, 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 don't. You need to explain why not. And you explain to them the path of life and joy and engagement. That's what we need to do for our kids. Don't tell them why don't look at pornography. Tell them what that does to them and what they should do that will lead to the greatest pleasure. Okay, I'm going to a side note here. That's really important in our generation today. Amen. But when we just say, don't, 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 don't do this, what this leads to is that there's a sense of a direct conflict between your desires, what you want, and what God wants. And what this produces is a superficial sense of spirituality and piety, but not a deep sense of trust and intimacy with God. It might produce a temporary result of works, but over the long run, people will get burned out and resentment towards God. Now, I've experienced this many times myself. Okay. Now, on face value, it seems like what the Bible teaches, right? Deny yourself, deny yourself. But if you just stop right there, you are leaving out the whole counsel of God. I remember the first time I ever heard Pastor Ron preach. The very first time at a GO conference in Atlanta, Georgia, he spoke this concept called Christian hedonism. Now, I'm not going to get into all that. Maybe you should bring that back into, into talking about that subject again. Uh, but when I first heard this idea, it blew my mind. It drove me nuts. I'm like, how could anyone never tell me this? How could I never heard this before? This is crazy. This idea is that God cares deeply about your deepest desires. In fact, he's the one who placed it in you in the first place. Psalms 37.4 says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. So why is there this apparent conflict between what we want to do and what the Bible says? Where is this conflict coming from? I want to quote C.S. Lewis. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. 
We are half-hearted creatures, fooling with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who, go, who wants to go on making mud pies in the slums because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Just, just for five seconds meditate on that. Let that sink in. What he's saying is this reconciles your deepest desire with the glory of God. It's the same thing. When God calls to live righteous lives, to sacrifice, to serve, it's not to deny our pleasures, but to die to our superficial, carnal, shallow pleasures, the pleasures of the world, the mud pies, so we can indulge in our greatest joy, the holiday at the sea. John Piper says it this way, Christian hedonism is the conviction that God's ultimate goal in this world, his glory, and our deepest desire to be happy is one and the same. Because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And here's the, I still remember that day when Pastor Ronald was preaching this message. I have never seen a pastor so happy. I have never seen a pastor so happy. He had a big smile on his face. And I was thinking, is happiness is joy, is a smile, a Christian virtue? I have never learned that. But I like it. I like it. I want to be happy too. I don't know what, I don't know that guy. I've never heard him speak before, but I want that. I want to be happy. And his message saying, God wants me to be happy. He wants me to be joyful. Man, that's the message this world needs. In fact, it's when we have a firm foundation in God's passion for us to be joyful, then out of that foundation, then we can sacrifice. Then we can trust in him in the face of persecution, in the face of failures. It's because we know our heart is found in him and he desires for us. What about you? Maybe you struggle to trust God. Because deep in your heart, you think God just wants you to use you as a tool instead of for your joy and peace. If that is the case, I invite you to meditate on John chapter 15. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that you may be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I have to quickly go to the third and fourth and fifth essential. The third essential... (laughs) Is ability. So the fundamental question is, is God really powerful enough to protect me? Is God really powerful enough to protect what I entrust him? As I was writing, so just letting you guys know, this is the one I struggle, I struggle with all five of these. This one, this is the one I struggle with the most. Even today I struggle with this. Especially in in light of my experiences and what we're facing, I, I struggle with this so much. But as I was writing this part of the sermon, okay, my little two-year-old Laura comes rushing into my, my office with, with the baby shark toy singing the song, okay? And even though I probably should have done it, it's like, hey, baby, Baba, Baba's working, you know, just wait outside. I couldn't help it. I picked her up. I kissed her, hugged her. I snuggled with her. I look in her big eyes, full of innocence, joy. 
She doesn't know about war. She doesn't know about trauma. She doesn't know about sickness. She's so full of life. She's so looking forward to life. She's in the embodiment of our future. Like, not just my kids, your kids. And I thought, I couldn't help but thinking, God, in this crazy world we're in right now, are you powerful enough to take care of the next generation? It's not even my generation. Are you powerful enough to care for these little ones? And if you don't have kids, maybe is your future, your career, your future spouse, perhaps your salvation. Are you powerful enough? It turns out that I'm not the only one who has struggled with the power of God. Because if you study scriptures, um, there are many, many passages talking about the power of God. See, God understands that when you've been hurt, when you've been traumatized, when you've been disappointed, when you experience a lot of hardship, we are very susceptible to transfer our trust in the power of God to the powers of this world. Government, money, influence, okay, probably more on a personal basis, yourself. This is where I see people develop uh, manipulations, control. They become control freaks. I think the heart of a lot of that is due to their lack of trust in the power of God. But you need to recognize all those things will let you down. The U.S. economy will let you down. The U.S. military will let you down. Your personal finances, your power, your control will let you down. You know, one of my recurrent nightmares, you can ask my wife about this 100% real story, is that I'm sleeping, I'm at the dinner table, and someone I love, whether my kids or somebody else, is just rocking on this chair. And they rock a little too hard, and they start to fall backwards. And they start to fall backwards. And it's like in slow motion. And I'm like, no, and I'm just far enough to not be able to catch them. And I wake up in cold sweat. One time I think I actually punched my wife. Okay, true story. But I wake up in cold sweat and I'm, I'm feeling the, the tension. I'm feeling all the emotions that I just dropped the ball. I couldn't handle it. I'm not powerful enough to save them. That's a sign to me that I have to start to transfer my trust from the power of God to myself. That's one very obvious sign. The other sign is debilitating anxiety, which I struggle with a lot all the time too. (laughs) That one's a little more obvious. The only thing I really want to say with this is when I come to the Lord and I say, Lord, give me relief. I'm tired of being anxious. Give me relief. This is what he asked me. He says, pray and ask me to show you my power. Show you my power. So if you struggle with anxiety or with control or maybe you have recurrent nightmares, I invite you to say the same prayer. I have a couple Bible verses. I'm just going to do the Psalm 1 real quick. Now this I know, Psalm 20, now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. Some trust in the U.S. economy. Some trust in your business. Some trust in your finances. 
but we trust in the name of the Lord God. Amen. To meditate on that verse. In Ephesians, I'm not going to read the verse. Paul actually prays for the church of Ephesus saying, hey, this is my prayer for you. That you would know God's power. If you struggle with the power of God, ask God with a genuine and humble heart to say, show me your power. And I will warn you, when you start saying that prayer, what God's going to do at first, he's going to expose all the false idols in your life. He's going to expose all the false things you have put your trust in. And he's going to yank them and you're going to feel pain and you're going to feel fear. And you're going to feel like you're falling because you've been tethering yourself to false promises. And that's not, that was not, is not fun. But I want to warn you, heads up, it's coming if you say that prayer. But once you release yourself, you realize you're standing on the solid foundation of his power. But you cannot have that faith and trust in God unless you first let go of these false things of the world. I could say so much about that. I don't have time for that. I want to encourage you to say that prayer. Okay, real quick, five minutes. The fourth essential trust is what's God's temperament? Is he fickle? Is he temperamental? Or is he gentle with me? Now, a lot of us, again, theologically we believe that Jesus is caring, he's kind. But we in our heart, in our experiences, we feel like God might be temperamental. I'm going to give you an example why that's the case. So, you know, my wife and I have been married for about 11 years so. I've been a dad for almost 10. And I haven't always learned how to be a good dad. I'm still learning how to be a good dad. But what I did earlier in being a dad was, uh, I was, shall I say, unstable emotionally. I come home and I would bring ga- garbage and frustrations from work home with me. And my kids wouldn't know which dad's coming home. Dr. Jackal or Mr. Hyde. And one day, I came home, I was tired, I was frustrated, I sat on my couch, and I saw my son Nehemiah whisper to my wife and says, I want to ask Baba a question, but I don't know if he's too tired to answer me. He was whispering that to my, my wife. And the, and the Holy Spirit quickened my heart. You are representing me falsely to, my, to your kids. My kids are thinking, your kids, really my kids, God's kids, are thinking that God is fickle, is temperamental, is harsh unpredictable, walk on eggshell. That's not my character. Oh, my, it cut me to the heart. It cut me to the heart. Not just just because I was a bad dad. I was misrepresenting the temperaments, the emotional maturity of the Heavenly Father to my kids. So what I did, and my wife asked me to share this, I actually developed a developmental growth plan for myself, for my emotional maturity. I'm not going to go into all that because I took it seriously. And you can ask my wife, I'm, I'm a lot better now. I'm not perfect, but I'm a lot better now, okay? But you have to ask yourself the question, if that's your experience, you have to ask yourself the question, what is the temperament of Jesus? What is God's temperament? And the Lord years ago brought me to Isaiah 42, just real quickly. Look at my servant who I strengthen. He's my chosen one who pleases me, Okay? I put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nation. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. At the point when I read this verse, I remember feeling such relief 
such peace because I was that bruised reed. I feel like if you put any ounce of pressure on me, I was going to be crushed. And that was that flickering candle. If you just whisper, I'll be put out. But Jesus is gentle and Jesus is kind. You can trust in him. The last point is track record. Consistency. What about track record? See, when I start to look at this issue, I realize that if I actually remember what God has done, when I have trusted God, he has always come through for me. If I actually focus and think about when I have went God's way, he has always come through. When I went my own way, I've always fallen short. So the question is not, is God trustworthy? The question is, can we remember? And I want to say this in terms of track record. We struggle to trust God because we forget over and over and over and over again. God cares about track record as much as we do because he has a perfect record. Because he's not afraid of his record being examined. He told the Israelites, remember, remember, remember. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, I don't have time to read it. Moses warned the Israelites and says, you will forget. Don't forget. When you get rich, when you get wealthy, when your bank account is full, you're going to think you did it. Don't you dare. You are not the rainmaker. God's the rainmaker. Remember, remember, remember. Let's be practical. How are you going to remember? When there are ups, when there are downs, when the economy changes, when there's a new president, when there's an old president, are you going to remember? How are you going to remember? You know, I, I shared about this years ago. Um, when I got married on the stage right here, my wife surprised me. My bride surprised me with a family crest. It's on my wall today. And every time I get anxiety about provision for my family, for my kids, I look at that family crest and I say, God, my family is your idea. This is your idea. I could never make this happen. If it's up to me and my wife, we would be in separate continents at this point. You brought us together. You healed our hearts. You knit us together. This is not my idea. This is your idea, Lord. And because it's your idea, you are in charge. It's your problem, not my problem. I can trust you. And I need that crest big on the wall so I can remember. How will you remember? Do you have people around you? And I work with business leaders. A lot of times business leaders just need to remember. They need a team around them who simply not give them a strategy. Well, this is a strategy. Remember God's faithfulness. Don't you dare forget. Today my goal is to help you examine the areas of your life which you may not trust God. And when we boldly face these gaps, we will grow. I want to read real quick from Mark chapter 9. This is a story in which a father has a young boy who was possessed by demons. And the disciples couldn't heal the young boy. And they came to Jesus. And this is what he said. He says, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him to the fire into water trying to kill him. Look, if you are dad... Just imagine your, your son, your daughter going through this since they were a little kid. The anguish, the vulnerability this father must feel at the time. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. 
What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The, fa- the father instantly cried out, I do believe. Let me paraphrase. But help me trust in you. Help me put my trust in you. Help me overcome my unbelief. This father is probably the most relatable person to me in the Bible. The most relatable person. I don't know if I can relate to David killing Goliath. I don't know if I can relate to Moses parting the Red Sea. I can relate to this dad who says, Jesus, I believe in you, but I don't trust you. I have anxiety. I have fears. I'm disobedient. Can I humble myself? Lord, help me with my unbelief. And I want to ask you, if you suffer from unbelief, lack of trust today, not in the condemning, I'm not here to condemn you, I'm pleading to you, and it's messing up your marriage, it's messing up your workplace, it's messing up your career, it's messing up your sleep, your rest, you're getting sick from this, I invite you, where you are right now, cry out to the Lord, help me trust you. And you know what? We will love, if, if you need a little help, we will love to pray with you. Amen. Have an awesome Sunday. Be blessed. Trust in the one who is trusting. Amen.